0: Good afternoon, everyone. It's good to see so many of us in the sanctuary today, and thank you for joining us online as well. At Pioneer, we express our mission as love on the move. And today I'm going to be sharing with us on the theme of love from the book of Judges. Many people think of Judges as the home of the most violent episodes in scripture, of the ugliest episodes in scripture, but my prayer today is that as we wrestle with the text, that we will find truth and beauty and hope. Let us pray. Our great God, we praise you for your word. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being here, ready and willing to guide us into all truth, Captivate our thoughts, imprison our minds, and roam in our hearts and transform us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. The book of Judges ends in chapters 20 and 21 with civil war in Israel, 11 against 1 all Israel against the tribe of Benjamin, us against them. By the time everything is over, only 600 Benjaminites are left. They managed to escape the deadly ambush. So to rebuild the tribe, they arranged for them to get 400 wives from the massacre of all the men in Jabesh Gilead. And then the remaining 200 wives they got from a fake abduction of some 200 young women from Shiloh. What in the world is going on in Israel? How could God's people get to this point of chaos? Well, let me tell you, believe it or not, it all started with a love story gone wrong. Anybody know what that looks like? It's a story of a man, a Levite, and a woman he takes as his concubine. Now, just for your purposes, a Levite is a a member of the priestly tribe of Levi. We read about him in Deuteronomy 33. Traditionally, his connections would make him a very important man, even if he's not currently working as such. A concubine is a woman that a man takes as a secondary wife she would not have legal provisions of a regular wife and normally she was taken for additional fertility. This is their love story. So come with me. Let's go to a long time ago in Bethlehem and we will pick up the story in Judges chapter 19. So the Levite arrives in Bethlehem after a long journey from his home in the remote parts of the hill country of Ephraim. The reason for the trip? So he could speak tenderly to his concubines. Literally speak to her heart. Because four months ago, she got angry with him, walked out on him, and went home to her parents. So he he arrives with his servants and a couple of donkeys. When when she takes him to her parents' home, her father is very happy to meet him. And the husband and the father-in-law spend the next three days bonding together with good ancient Near Eastern hospitality. Eat, drink, repeat. All day, every day. Day four, They get up to leave, but the father-in-law says to his son-in-law, Refresh your heart with a morsel of bread, then go afterward. After the two of them eat and drink again, the father says, Stay all night and let your heart be merry. So they stay one more night. Day five, daddy again says, Please refresh your heart. And son-in-law delays again as both of them eat. I wonder what is the young woman doing all this time? Toward evening, daddy tries to delay them again. Lodge here that your heart may be merry, but the man would have none of it. So he leaves late afternoon for his journey back. If daddy is dropping hints, the four times he mentions the word heart, the man misses it or ignores it and leaves without speaking to his concubine's heart as he said he would do. Daddy was so busy networking with this very important man that he didn't find a moment to say one single word to his daughter. So the man leaves with his belongings, his concubine and his servant. About six miles into the journey, his servant suggests that they spend the night in Jerusalem, which was then home to the Jebusites. They had fought with Israel in Judges chapter 1. But the thought of spending the night among outsiders with his valuable saddle donkeys made the Levites say, no way. Oh, yes, his concubine was there as well. We will not stay in a city of foreigners who are not Israelite like us. We will go to Gibeah, he says. So as the sun sets, they arrive in Gibeah, which belongs to Benjamin, about three miles north. At this point, things take a turn for the worse. The people of God in Gibeah, the insiders, do not deliver the hospitality the Levite expects. So the Levite, his concubine, and his two saddle donkeys wait an unusually long time in the open square for someone to invite them in as was customary. Finally, an old man comes by. The desperate Levite struggles to, to select generous words. Although he tries hard, with a careful look at the verses on the screen, which we will read, you will see what really matters to the Levites. Here's what he says. We are passing to the remote parts of the hill country of Ephraim from which I come. No one will take me into his house. We have straw and fodder for our donkeys, number one with bread and wine for me, number two, and the woman and the young man with us. We need nothing more. The word he used for the woman in that sentence is considered to be a negative and demeaning word. So he was giving a clue to the man how he felt about his woman. In our modern day language, we call those microaggressions. The old man brought him into his house, fed the donkeys first, and they begin to eat. Lawrence Turner thinks that, like Lot, almost 500 years before in Sodom, this man's hospitality is a sign of his righteousness. Righteousness. Loud pounding on the door from the outside startles them as they eat inside. Some men of Gibeah shout, bring out the man who came to your house so that we may know him. I'll tell you this, it was not a TV interview they wanted. They wanted to know the man the way Adam knew Eve and God came. The issue here is not just sexual desire, but it's sexual violence. In the ancient Near Eastern world, a man was humiliated by treating him as a woman. Leviticus 18.22 calls these actions detestable. The old man goes outside to appeal to his fellow Israelites. No, my brothers, don't do this wicked thing. He's my guest. And what happens next at this house of the man of God brings a shocking sense of deja vu. Like Lot offered his virgin daughters to the men pounding at his door in Genesis 19, This man offers his virgin daughter to the men pounding at his door in Judges 19. Except this time, he ups the ante. He says, Take his concubine as well. Who says we're not in Sodom anymore? Do whatever you want to them, he says. What the old man really says is, don't abuse the man, abuse the woman. In the eyes of this old man from God's people, it is right to show hospitality and love to his male guest and humiliate his own daughter and his female guest. Is that any less wicked than what the men outside demand? But outside, the men refuse. Inside, the Levite quickly senses his danger and in one quick move, he grabs his concubine and he thrusts her outside. Judges 19.25 tells us that the men of Gibeah abuse her all night and discards her at daybreak. Suffering, suffering broken, she drags herself and stumbles outside the house of her master as he slumbers inside. Inside it is morning and her master gets up. He goes outside to leave and, oh there you are. is surprised to see her laying where she fell down, arms stretched towards the threshold. Get up and let's be going, he says to her. No answer. He puts her on the donkey and sets out for his home. Finally, what a way to speak to her heart. Why does she not answer? In the man's eyes, there is only one right thing to do. He goes inside his home and moves swiftly. He takes the knife and grasping his concubine, he cuts her into 12 pieces limb by limb and sent her throughout all the territory of Israel. The word that is used for when he takes her and holds her is the same word that that, that was used when he takes her and pushes her outside. You and I are left to decide when exactly this woman dies. Inside is now looking a lot like outside. Israel is now looking a lot like Canaan. It is the largest crowd I've ever seen. Every tribe of Israel is present. Everyone except Benjamin, of course. Someone shouts, tell us how this awful thing happened. And I want you to pay close attention to what the Levite says. He says, I and my concubine came to Gibeah in Benjamin to spend the night. And we're reading Judges 20 verses from verse 4. During the night, the men of Gibeah came after me and surrounded the house, intending to kill me. They raped my concubine and she died. I took my concubine, cut her in pieces, and sent one piece to each region of Israel's inheritance because they committed this lewd and outrageous act in Israel. Just like that. Did you notice how this oversimplified version conceals some important details in the original version that you and I heard? It was the same with his conversation with the old man in the square. Obviously, truth-telling is not one of the Levite's strengths. But all Israel moves to act on his version of the story. The result? Civil war. A mockery of justice. Perhaps all this could have been avoided somehow. So what is really the message of the story? We don't really need that slide. What is really the message of the story? Why is this horrible account even in the Bible? Is it to show that God prefers some people over others? That some people are more valuable than others? I don't think so. I think the show shows two things in the main. What happens when love is absent? And what can happen when love is present? So let's look first at what happens when love is absent. When love is absent, we see what happens as sin destroys, Israel's spiritual and social structures and morality. And everyone does what is right in his or her own eyes. Left to our own devices, humans will self-destruct. You and I can see issues in this story about humanity, about God, about authority, about governance, about justice, about politics, about war, Israelites stand as a warning to God's people of all ages. Sin is out there, but it's also in here. With a foreigner, but with also the native. With them, but also with us. Everyone is in need of God's love and grace because as Psalm 53, 1 and 3 say, there is none good. No, not one Everyone can see that evil is at an all-time high in Israel. We can see it in the Levite and the old man. What we see in them is the complexity and the fickleness of humans in a sinful world. The conflict between the flesh and the spirit, between good and evil. As conflicted individuals, they change from one day to the next. And sometimes, many different times in the same day. Desirable husband and son-in-law this week, knife-bearing assassin next week. Loving friend in need this hour, cruel host the next hour. Then this minute the beacon of righteousness, next minute the epitome of wickedness. It is like schizophrenia on many levels. Among God's people in Judges 19, we see a murderer, the sexually immoral, homosexuals, a slave trader, a liar, one who gives false testimony. First Timothy 1:10 calls these persons lawbreakers, rebellious. Romans 1 includes such persons in a long list of what they call God haters and those who have no love, no mercy and concludes by saying that those who do such things deserve death as God's people we do well to remember that all wrongdoing is sin 1 John 5:17 all the same size all the same name all the same deadly effect sin separates us from God Isaiah 59, 2, and then it destroys us. Sin kills because the wages of sin is death. That is why God's people should always choose love because it is a matter of life and death. To love is to love God. To love God is to keep his commandments, John fourteen fifteen. Through his commandments, God shows us his love. He wants to help us not to do wrong, not to sin, so that we can avoid death. Israel's ongoing sin in Judges 19 shows what their love for God is like by the way they remember the commandments. Judges 19 is a warning to God's people and others to show love for God by obeying His commandments. To love is also to love other people. and this is the commandment we have from him that he who loves God must love his brother and sister also. First John 4:21. To love others means to include, not exclude, to be kind, not rude, to be true, not false, to defend, not abuse, to support, not humiliate, to show compassion, not cruelty, to protect, not murder. It means that we show hospitality, defend the weak, protect those in our care. These Israelites remind us that we cannot always tell with our own eyes what someone is like. It may not show on the outside. Often the true person is hidden inside. What view of humanity and God and life Would allow all the men to want to devalue the women as they did and think it is right. Only a view from eyes blind by sin and hearts unbreakable, unfillable, and unable to love because of sin. It is no wonder that God offers a new heart, a new spirit, to remove the heart of stone and give a heart of flesh, to put his spirit to move us to follow his decrees and laws. Sin often blinds us to our true self, blinds us to the effect of our actions. It shows up as a lack of love in individuals, marriages, families, and communities, For example, if your children see their parents as ice at home and fire in public, they learn manipulation as normal. Eventually, it leads to a loss of cohesion in society. Ideas of justice become perverted. Here the Levite dismembers his concubine and distributes her parts to the 12 tribes. That is his way to scream! I have been wrong, somebody do something. These men of Ephraim should not be able to get away with this crime. And he is right. It is a gruesome and ugly act of violation of his concubine. It's abuse, it's evil. Expose it, yes. Condemn it, yes. Justly rewarded, yes. But is the Levite the victim or is he the perpetrator? He cultivated injustice inside, now he seeks to uproot injustice outside. He carves as a perpetrator and cries as a victim always acting with selfish motives he has to control every situation for his own benefit he does not remember to love his neighbor as himself leviticus 19:18 or to follow justice and justice alone deuteronomy 16:20 he and all israel know neither love nor justice It is their sin, their disobedience to God's word that kills the woman and almost wipes out the entire tribe of Benjamin. That is why God's people should always choose to love because it is a matter of life and death. When love is absent, individuals are destroyed, marriages are destroyed, families are destroyed, communities are destroyed. The story shows us that Israel does not understand how to live well by reason alone without God's guidance. Based on the Levite story, Israel decides immediately to go to war with Benjamin. Later they ask for the word of the Lord. But it is only after two defeats and the loss of 40,000 men that they repent and God gives them victory over Benjamin. When Israel relies only on its finite human reason tainted by sin, it proves to be a fatal mistake for them. It will be the same for us. Israel should be satisfied that God's word is still sufficient to guide them into his purpose and his plans. So should we. But isn't it just like us? We choose to accept and obey God's word in some circumstances, but not in others, you know. Sometimes in public, we shout for justice, defending a big cause. In private, we isolate and destroy the one and the two that the cause represents. Limb by limb by limb, bit by bit, a word here, another there. In private, we subtly and progressively cut up and destroy others. God's people should always choose to love because it is a matter of life and death. But what happens when love is present? When love is present, it has the power to penetrate our darkness, to penetrate our brokenness, and transform our experience. The story of the Levite and his concubine is a love story without the love. The Levite essentially sacrifices the woman to save himself. Like children playing at break time, her husband says to her, you're it and he pushes her outside. It was his lack of love that gave birth to her death. He sleeps while she was unwillingly tossed and turned all night. Gets up when she cannot get up and holds her when she cannot feel. The woman is emotionally, socially, and ultimately physically destroyed. Perhaps she's also spiritually destroyed, unable to reconcile the Israelite God and the life she lived with this Israelite. As a true Levite in action, he dismembers her body like a ram to be sacrificed as a burnt offering. Nobody dismembers like a Levite. Generations of Levites have been called by God to serve in the tabernacle. With all Israel, he has long forgotten God, the truth about who he was called to be and the meaning of what he was called to do. As he takes the knife and cuts his wife, This is just another day at the office. Judges 19 shows us just how messy life can get. I praise God today that mess doesn't scare him. For it is in the mess of our lives that our Savior comes to deliver us, to give us life so that we might have it to the full. John 10.10. As I reflect on the woman's brutal sacrifice, not too far from Jerusalem, I am reminded of another sacrifice that took place just outside Jerusalem. Could it be that God is using these messy, uncomfortable episodes to point us to the ultimate sacrifice, the sacrifice of Jesus for the sin of all mankind? Is there some good news in this gross, despicable tale of God's people at a time when everyone did what was right in his own eyes? If we would turn our eyes from the things which are seen to those which are not seen, maybe in the heartless, horrific sacrifice of the woman, we might find a reminder of God's love. It's not fair that the woman should suffer and die to save that selfish Levi. That is true. It's not fair that she should die that slow and painful death. But the truth is, it's not fair that Jesus should die to save a wretch like me. He too was violated, abused. He suffered and bled and died. His death was also slow and painful. This was God's demonstration of his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, eight. No one forced Jesus to become the sacrifice. Love moved him to do it. Jesus knows the power of love. Jesus knows the presence of love delivers, but the absence of love destroys. He offers his love so that neither you nor I will have to be destroyed. The concubine sacrifice only saves the Levite's skin. Jesus' sacrifice can save all our souls. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. As Eugene H. Peterson put it in Hebrews 10, 14, it was a perfect sacrifice by a perfect person to perfect some very imperfect people. By that single offering, he did everything that needed to be done for everyone who takes part in the purifying process. Because of what Jesus did, the Holy Spirit says, I will make a new plan with Israel. I'm writing out the plan in them, carving it in the lining of their hearts. Jesus' sacrifice is able to transform our hearts. When he does, we have hearts that are breakable, fillable, able to love. If we are able to see beyond the pain and see the savior, Then Judges 19 shows us the power of love. Judges 19 shows us that when love is absent, there is depravity and destruction. Evidently, when love is present, there is deliverance and transformation. Judges 19 shows us that even in the darkest times of our lives, God will find a way to remind us of his unconditional promise to save us. It is up to us to accept this sacrifice and make him the king of our hearts. But whatever we may choose, God's love made him keep his promise and send his son to be the sacrifice for our sins. God's people should always choose to love because it is a matter of life and death. This story of God's people centuries ago in Bethlehem, Judah, could well have been yesterday in North America. Today we still face similar challenges with abuse, divisions, sexual violence, homosexuality, gender inequality, and yes, Often it seems that everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. Some 55 years ago, Hal David wrote a song, What the world needs now is love, sweet love. I won't sing it, but you get the idea. If love is really what the world, if, if love is really, what the world really needs, then where in the world is the world going to get love from? Who in the world will show the world what love looks like and what love feels like? And how in the world will the world learn how to love? God is depending on us, you and I, to display and demonstrate his love to the world. How are we doing? Perhaps you're at a point in your experience where you have never surrendered your life to Christ because you have not been able to get beyond the pain and the questions of your own experience. Perhaps you've been a Christian all your life, but you still struggle to grow, to love, to accept love, to share love. Judges 19 foreshadows the ultimate sacrifice of one man, Jesus Christ, for the deliverance of the whole world. That is a love worth having, and that is a love worth sharing. But where do we begin? I want to suggest three steps that, we might, that might be useful as we close. First, surrender to God's love. Perhaps you can identify with someone today in this gloomy narrative. I want you to know that Jesus died for you. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you've been. The good news is that Jesus offers you a better way to live and to love. If you can identify with the Levite, Jesus died for you. Maybe you do not physically push people out, but maybe you push stories, true or untrue. Maybe when the pressure bears down, you sometimes misrepresent the truth to make others look bad and protect yourself. You make calls or send text messages that really cut people up. If that is you, Jesus' blood can cleanse you and he longs to give you a new heart and to teach you how to live well and how to love well. Perhaps you can identify with the concubine, and it doesn't matter what gender you are. You have not lived as you know you should. Maybe you have been the victim of abuse, sexual, emotional, social, physical. If that is you, Jesus' sacrifice was for you too. He longs to cover you with his love so that you can learn to feel secure and learn to live well and wisely and to love well. Maybe you identify with a man pounding on the door. No one knows your struggles. Jesus does, and he says, I'm knocking at your door today. Let me in, please, so we can eat together. Revelation 3.20 He longs to help you to experience the abundance of his love, to teach you how to live well, how to love well. Second, after you surrender to God's love, let his love heal you as you develop relationship with him. Third, as you surrender to God's love and allow it to heal you, allow him to show you how to love others well. Even if you cannot identify with someone specific, allow him to change your heart and show you how to love well. Even the best of us needs to learn how to love well. These are difficult days in which we live. To try to live these times without God's love is unwise. To try to live them without sharing God's love is unkind. God's people should always choose to love because it is a matter of life and death. How will you respond to God's love today?